0: Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's
1: Terry.
2: Good morning on, I guess, a beautiful winter day up here in Fort Collins. We're going to get up around 40. The sun is shining. We still have snow on the ground from the two snowstorms before. I know down in the southern metro area especially a little snow fell but it's been crazy weather we're going to talk about that Um, we're going to have a lot of ice fishing today and there is some good opportunities really starting to develop ice fishing even down a little lower so we'll find out about those we're also going to talk some fly fishing you know there's just tremendous fly fishing opportunities throughout the entire year in colorado talk a little shooting today and we're going to have just uh And we're going to talk about the boat show. And, you know, the boat show and the RV show are both going on down at the convention center. Second hour, Chad LaChance will join us. And we will uh, talk about maybe if you're thinking about buying a boat, what do you look for? What do you do? What's the availability of boats right now? We know last year it wasn't good. So we're going to cover all that. The other thing that's going to go on during today's show is uh, my musical group, Wickstrom and Dobreth. We released uh, an EP right at the first of the year this year, a four-song EP. It's kind of a country with a little folk mixed in. And we're going to play a few of the a few cuts from some of those songs off and on during coming out of the breaks. And then we'll tell you where you can go stream that. In fact, it's streaming at about 150 places, and we'd love if you go check it out. But right now, let's go to the phones. Joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Trevor Johnson. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, it's winter time and it's cold and look out the window and the fish won't bite anyway. So there's absolutely no sense fly fishing in the winter, right? Oh, absolutely not. No, This is a great time to go. It really is. You and I talk during the week and we'll get into it. But winter fly fishing in Colorado um, can really be phenomenal. I've had some of my best days in fact you and i talked about your tactics are different we'll talk about that and we'll talk about some places to go but uh, a lot of times if you can find the fish they're actually gathered up in some deeper holes and uh, it can be one of your best fly fishing experiences of the year don't you agree oh 100 um yeah
3: kind of exactly going off what you're saying there Um, you know, some of my best days I've ever had on the river have been in, you know, the middle of a snowstorm, um, in the middle of winter. Um, not only because, you know, you're, you're dealing with all these fish kind of pulled up. Um, but there's just a lot more solitude on the river. You're not, you know, fighting as many of the crowds on some of those cold
2: days. Right. And, you know, and we can have 20 below days and we can have 50 above days. And if you don't want to go out, when the weather's a little blustery, you can still have luck and enjoy yourself and be so comfortable in the sun, but you can't do it everywhere. Some places are going to get some ice. Some places the fish will get under the shelves and get a little dormant. So you've got to kind of pick your spots. What are some of the places right now or this time of the year that you recommend?
3: Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're seeing 190 CFS coming out of Cheeson right now which is, uh, you know, epic winter flows. Uh, you know, we typically see it around 100 around this time of year. Um, so that's, I mean, that's absolutely amazing. Um, you will be seeing, you know, higher crowds there with those high flows. Um, but we're still, you know, teaching winter clinics. We're guiding um, at Cheeseman, at Deckers. So that's, that's one of our top spots right now. Um, you know, and as well as Williams Fork, you know, we're seeing 81 out of the dam there. So that's still looking really good as well. Um, you'll get a little more solitude there. Uh, you know, you have to hike in a little further. You might have to post hole through some snow, um, but still great fishing opportunities. Um, and then a personal favorite is uh, below Green Mountain. Um, you know, a lot of people actually don't really like to go there in the winter because it does get cold. Um, but we're seeing 260 out of the dam there, and that's uh, absolutely incredible for the wintertime. So, you know, those are three of probably my top favorites right now.
2: Well, and then there's a couple other opportunities you and I didn't discuss before, but I'd like to kind of bring them up and get your thoughts because I haven't fished any of these for quite a while. And uh, one of them is the, the Arkansas Below Pueblo Dam. You know, it stays pretty warm down in Pueblo for the most part. They've done a lot of river rehabilitation down there. And not only will you find trout, but right below the dam, you'll find walleyes and bass and other species. I used to just love that Pueblo, uh, Arkansas Below Pueblo
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a great winter fishery. Um, you know, we definitely head there quite often as well. Um, you know, during the week especially is a, is a great time if you have uh, you know, availability to go there. Um, and then, you know, the entire Arkansas actually, you know, I have fished down in um, uh, Canyon City. That's a great area too. Um, they've done a lot of river improvement there. And, um, you know, it's going to be pretty similar, um, you know, all of these tailwaters. Um, you know, since some of them are going to freeze up during the wintertime, it really offers good angling uh, opportunities pretty much through the entire winter.
2: Now, one other thing I want to bring up before we go to some techniques and tactics and things for the winter, and that's the whitefish. You know, I've also done a lot of whitefish fly fishing during oh, the yeah. winter. They seem to be more, they seem to stay a little more active. They're a little more prevalent. I've drifted to Colorado. I know the White River has. What about whitefish this time of the year? Any spots you know of or that you personally fish? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know,
3: being myself living here in Denver and, you know, Evergreen, uh, you're not really going to get much opportunities anywhere close. Um, But one of my favorites is actually the Crystal River out in uh, like Carbondale. Um, So, you know, if you're you're heading out, you're skiing, you know, you want to have some some even more solitude, um, there's the Dow Fish Hatchery um, and the Crystal River where there's a bunch of spots up and down. Um, you know, it'll actually, you know, not create a ton of, ton of uh, ice shelves, um, but there's certain areas where you can find them, and they are prevalent in that river.
2: Yeah, there's just, <clears throat> excuse me, we could go on and on. There's Anywhere there's tailwaters or lower elevation where it's been warmer, there's probably some fishing opportunities, but you do have to approach it a little differently, don't you? What type of techniques do you use this time of year? Oh, yes, sir. Um, you know, we're actually, you know, it,
3: it's standard tailwater tactics, but you, you're going to have to switch things up a little bit. So, um, you know, number one, it's going to be your tippet size. Um, you know, whatever you are used to using, I would definitely go down. Um, I'm a big fan of half size tippets. So I'm typically running, you know, either a, a 5X or a 6X liter, and then I'm dropping down to five and a half, six and a half. x you know, I'm, I'm keeping them, you know, not super long, kind of depending on where you're fishing. But, um, you know, a nine-foot leader, a seven-and-a-half, um, you know, anywhere in there is going to be a really good option. You don't want to get too crazy long. Um, and then your biggest one is going to be your weight. Um, so we really recommend, you know, kind of dialing that weight in perfectly so you can get that right drift. Um, one of my personal favorites is, is using the tungsten uh, mud. Um, you know, so you can put on a size four, size six split shot, you know, something small and then coat that with the tungsten putty, um, you know, to really dial in that perfect weight, um, which is going to uh, pick up your success rate, uh you know,
2: tenfold. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the- Before you move on, before you move on to more techniques, one of the things I find myself doing also when a lot of times this will happen on the big T, you'll get some fairly slow pools where the fish are gathered. So it's not too difficult to get down. In those situations, I remove the split shot altogether and go to multiple tungsten flies to get it down. just seems like I get more bites and I don't tangle as much.
3: Absolutely, yeah. You know, that's almost using, um, you know, a Euro uh, fly fishing technique um, where those, you know, tungsten beaded nymphs um, really, really are beneficial. Um, You know, especially I've had opportunities in the wintertime in and Canyon where I'm not even actually using any weight. Um, I, like I, you said, I'm using a, a big, you know, um, three and a half millimeter, uh, tungsten jig leech. And I'm actually, uh, kind of swinging that leech where you're not even going with the flow from some of these really slow pools. So you kind of have to swing that fly, but you'll get a lot of reactionary strikes on, uh, on that.
2: So what other flies you mentioned the leech and I want to get back to that in just a second, but what other flies do you use this time of the year?
3: Yeah, you know, um, uh, the main hatches we're going to be seeing right now are going to be midges. Um, you know, on a snowy day, um, you might see some, uh, you know, bluing olives in really small sizes. So, um, you know, if we're talking dries, you know, I'm going with either a uh, Griffith's net or a uh, Mac midge or a, you know, size 20 or size 18 um, extended body bluing olive. Um, those are going to be great dries. Um, Nymphing is going to be the primary uh, method for the winter time, um, and I'm fishing blinks. I'm fishing mercury midges, Manhattan midges, top secrets. Um, you know, all those small midge imitations, typically in the size twenty to twenty-four
2: range. Yeah, and, and you do downsize a lot. Let's face it; they're they're slower. They're looking it over. A smaller presentation matches the hats and gives them less time to I, misidentify it. Uh, but you, you mentioned the leeches. There's times when I'll work an area with a streamer just to see if I can get a reaction strike. Do you do that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I typically won't fish
3: big streamers, you know, no double articulated, nothing crazy huge. But, you know, a good a good two, you know, even three-inch streamer um, can really, really produce some nice fish in the wintertime because, you know, they're just like you and me. They want to eat. They want to fatten up. You know, um, they don't want to work too hard for it. So if you can get a streamer, down right into their zone, they're, they're going to hit it.
2: So we only have a couple minutes left. Let's talk a little bit. First of all, are you guys still doing guided, and are you doing classes, fly fishing classes?
3: Yes, sir. We are still in full swing. Um, John Keithover and Mr. Pat Dorsey are doing our winter clinics right now. We're doing those at Deckers. Um, we're doing, I think, a couple a week right now. So we're still out there grinding. Um, we've got all of our full-time guides and part-time guides Still working uh, guided trips. You know, we've got nice days, or like I said, you know, a, a nice snowy day where it's still warm out. We're uh,
2: we're still out there hustling. And um, how, how? Yeah, we're, how far how ahead of a, time? How far ahead of time do they have to get a hold of you to book a guided trip or a class?
3: Yeah, typically we're looking for just a couple days. Um, you know, most of our guides are, are pretty flexible in the winter time. Um, we're definitely not as busy as we are in spring and summer. Um, but yeah, you know, I, we, we would like a couple days advance notice just so we can kind of really get everything planned out and get you on the best water we can.
2: And then the other thing I want to talk to you about, this is time of the year when a lot of people really concentrate on their fly tying. It's, you know, it's where you can spend some time on a bad weather day and you can make, make those flies that when you do go out and catch a fish on it, it has that rewarding aspect to it that you caught it on your fly. Are you doing much for fly tying classes?
3: Oh yes sir yeah this is probably one of our biggest busiest uh time you know areas of the year so um, myself and uh Cameron Kramer are actually teaching tying classes um, at the Blue Quill we teach them uh every week uh we have a variety of different ones so we do uh you know beginner 101 class um, we have advanced 101. We do streamers. We do saltwater. So if you're planning on going somewhere in the wintertime, you know, down to Florida or Belize, um, we'll, we'll teach you how to tie some good saltwater patterns, too.
2: Can you teach me how to double haul so I can throw that out <laughs> in the saltwater as far as I need to? <laughs> Absolutely. I've been teaching double haul classes uh, about two a week for the past month. So, um, yeah, just, I, if you need to practice I, it up I, on your technique, <laughs> come I, on down. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what, when you're sitting in the front of one of those flats boats and the guide goes tarpon or bonefish at, well, it's usually at 12 o'clock. So your back cast yeah. has to go right over the guide and he goes oh, yeah. 70 and he goes 70 feet. And I just look back and go, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're gonna to push me about
3: 44 feet there, buddy.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, one more thing. Well, we are talking about fly tying real quick. You know, a lot of people are going to be getting into fly tying for the first time this winter what are some, what's maybe one of some of the biggest mistakes or misconceptions people have about tying flies?
3: Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things is I think everyone really thinks, uh, you know, it's just uh, way too complicated. They overcomplicate their flies, their designs. Um, you know, I've got an acronym I've used my entire life and it's KISS. Keep it simple. stick um, You know, I, I like to go with the bare minimum on the hook. You know, sometimes all you need is a little bit of thread and some wire. Um, you know, the basic, the most simple imitations usually are some of the best. Um, so, you know, don't overthink it, keep it, keep it easy, keep it simple, you know, bust out a bunch cause I guarantee you're going to lose a bunch too. Um, so, you know, bust out, you know, a dozen of one pattern and then, you know, the more and more you do it, the more repetition, the better and better you're going to
2: get. All right. We've got to go, but if people want more information on your trips, your clinics, your classes, how do they find you, Trevor, Yeah.
3: uh, So, you know, we've got a couple different avenues. You can give us a call at the shop. Uh, Phone number is 303-674-4700. And then follow us on social media. Um, We've got Instagram. We've got Facebook. We've got a YouTube page. We're going to be posting tons of uh, tying recipes with uh, Mr. Pat Dorsey himself and a bunch of other shop guys.
2: So, yeah, reach out. All right, my friend. Thank you. Great segment. Thank you for joining us. Awesome, Terry. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You bet. That's Trevor Johnson from the Blue Coil Angler. All the guys are so great. We get them on on a regular basis. Just quality, quality guides, people. If you're into fly fishing, they need to be someplace you stop by and check out. We'll take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to switch things up, and we're going to talk about some developments in the shooting industry on Terry Wisham Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. <laughs> You're just a tear up in my eyes Each night I cry myself to sleep You're just a memory of a love I somehow couldn't keep You're an empty bed beside me In the early morning light You're just a tear All right, you're listening to Terry from Outdoors and on 104.3 The Fan. That's actually a... <clears throat> a musical cut out of the new EP that Mark Dobreth and I released. Uh, if you're interested, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors' Facebook page has some links where you can find that and to the Facebook and Twitter page for the music. Let's go to the phones now and let's talk some shooting Though Joining us from Trigger Time Gun Club is Paul Gonzalez. Good morning, Paul.
0: Good morning, Terry. Thank you for having us on this morning.
2: Well, always you're always so full of information, and you guys are so knowledgeable and friendly. And, gosh, I've been a member down there for over a decade and just an enjoyable place to go. Uh, we'll get into the place a little bit and some of the things you offer. But there was a topic that you told me that red dot sites are starting to show up on handguns. And I thought we'd talk about that a little bit, but maybe first you should explain to maybe there's new shooters, new gun purchasers, or people who haven't even bought their first gun yet wonder what is a red
0: dot sight. Well, basically what it is, and, and I guess I'm going to back up just a second. As you said, you've been a member here for over a decade. We've been open for 12 years. And in that time, Terry, I, I have seen my eyes change. I, I'm at the end of my 50s now. And uh, so I'm, what happens is your eyes change. The sights get harder to see, or the sights and the target combined, uh, just, just because of aging on the eyes. And so a red dot sight is essentially a a small electronic device uh, that goes, mounts on a... We're used to seeing them on rifles or carbines. They were always a little larger, and they're quick to acquire. It gives you a red dot We've all seen the the TV shows with a laser beam that shoots out and, and points, actually puts a laser dot on a target. And uh, we have seen some, some issues with those in here. There There's a lot of them that are fine, but a lot of them tend to wander. So you're going to get that same effect when you're looking through one of these electronic sights, it appears that there's a projected beam, but it's just a dot that's not projecting. It's just you see a little red dot wherever, uh, wherever your projectile is going to go once you get it sighted incorrect. Uh, one of the nice things with it is as uh, your eyes start changing and those sights become harder to see, that, that red dot uh, it lets you hit the bullseye again like you, you know like you did when you could see the sights just perfectly. Well, or at least like Karen did when I was shooting with her. But <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, Terry, but since you yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, you know, um, so <clears throat> you're not going to get that little red dot on the chest of somebody you see in the movies. You're just going to see it through the
0: sight, correct? That is correct. It's not projected. It appears when you're looking through it that it's projected, but it's actually not projected. It's just a... Essentially, it's a flat piece of glass that you're looking through, uh, and that's underselling it a lot because they've got a lot of special coatings and angles and all to, uh, to, to do what they do. But uh, that little flat piece of glass has got a projected dot uh, from itself that, that reflects off of the glass. And, uh, your eye picks that up. You can't, it doesn't put off enough light to be seen from anywhere around you. Like a laser, a laser sight, you actually can see the beam where it's originating from, where it starts from, where it's going to. Uh, so you don't get any of that. With the red dot sight, you as the shooter are the only one that sees that, uh, that, that little dot. And, like say, it does actually look when you're looking through it like it's projected, but it's not. It's, it's just reflecting off that little piece of glass that, uh, you impose over your target at that point.
2: Now you said we're starting to see these show up on handguns because in the past they'd been a little bit large and probably a little bit cumbersome to put on a handgun, but they've really refined them and you're even seeing people use them on their self defense
0: guns, is that right? Absolutely, that's that's the case. Like I said, it kind of started on the on the carbines, uh, you, you know, on rifles, uh, the close range rifles, and but they were too big. Uh, then we started seeing competition handgun shooters putting them on their handguns again for competition, not for carry. Um, so, and it made it the reason they put them on there is it made it faster for them to acquire, it made it uh, more accurate for them. And so, there's some definite benefits because that's considered the unlimited class. That's kind of the top of the heap for the handgun competitors uh, to shoot. But now, we're seeing like, like everything, technology is moving forward. We're seeing them smaller and smaller, and they're very robust now. So, it's something for a concealed carry, like a subcompact handgun, that's uh, very easy to carry. That we would recommend to carry, or you know, that you may carry. Uh, they're making these sights that are small enough for these these red dots, small enough to actually go on a subcompact uh, concealed carry gun. Making a lot of holsters to accommodate them, so it's it's becoming very common, and uh, it, it gives you a very good sight picture now. Uh, it just it's nice to go out there and be able to hit the X again and. and Know that it's not your, your site that's uh, limiting that factor. All right, let's move on.
2: You do have examples of this at the shop, I assume. People can oh. come by and see it.
0: Absolutely. We've got, uh, even our rental fleet, we've got some gun- handguns and rifles, of course, with the red dot sights on them, but we're mainly talking about the handguns, which we do have that you can see. We do have that, uh, you know, our members can rent a, a handgun with a red dot and go out there and, and actually try it out
2: we only got a couple minutes left, but I want to touch on some things. First of all, tell
0: people where you're located and describe the facility really quickly. Well, we're essentially we're at I-25 and 119, which is just east of Longmont. We're about uh, 15 minutes north of uh, I-25 and 120th. Uh, we're a members-only club. We do have memberships available. We've got 11 lanes of indoor handgun shooting. goes to 25 yards. Uh, We've got seven lanes of 100-yard rifle indoor shooting. Um, We've got a full-stocked pro shop. We've got a gunsmith on site. We've got trainers. We do one-on-one training as well as concealed carry classes. Uh, we've got male and female trainers, uh, whichever we we found a lot of times women like to work with a, uh, a female trainer. They feel more comfortable asking questions, and we want to get them all the information that they... We don't want them to, to think any question is not worthy of asking, and, and we find that works well with our female trainers.
2: Well, one of the things I've found is you're so family-friendly. I've brought, you know, my adult children there, but I see people with their daughters and sons and you get entire families that can come in and shoot and you provide a really friendly safe extremely safe environment to learn about firearms plus you have such a knowledgeable staff before we go there's one product you guys have been really carrying a lot of that I think we should touch on and that's knives and sharpeners you're really seeing a boom in that business aren't you
0: you know, we, we sure have. We've got some uh, some very nice high-end knives here. Uh, we find a lot of people uh, are really, well, they're collecting them, and they're, uh, some of the new knives are really artwork. The, the way they're put together and how smooth they are, they're, they're just like some of our fine-quality handguns. You can tell somebody put their heart and soul into building that, and they are truly one-off. They're not just a, uh, a CNC machined, you know, make them by the 100s type of thing. And then we've got some very high-quality sharpeners for sharpening those blades as well.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, not only the type of knives that you sell, but anybody who does a lot of work in their kitchen needs to invest in a high-end sharpener. I can tell you, I do a lot of cooking, too, and keeping those knives sharp is just the key. And some people people don't understand what it takes. Coming down and talking to, like, Nate or somebody there who really understands those sharpeners can really improve your knives. Paul, we're out of time. One more time, I think the best way to find you is TriggerTimeGunClub.com, don't you?
0: That's correct. That's our website that's got all the information, a map to us, and, and that'll uh, get you in touch with us.
2: Good talking to you again, my friend. I've got to get in, do some practice, and
0: take a look at those red dot sites. Fantastic. We look forward to it, Terry. Thanks again for having us all on right. this morning. You bet. Paul Gonzalez, uh, Trigger Time Gun Club.
2: TriggerTimeGunClub.com. Great people. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk ice fish. We're going to talk all kinds of fishing right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and uh, joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you on. It's been a crazy, you know, all through last summer and into this winter, it's been a crazy fishing year. I mean, I know we all used to keep logs and we still do keep some notes about. This time of the year, the fish are doing this. And that time of the year, I had ice over here and the lake turned over. Well, you can almost throw that out the window. And you just got to adjust to what the current conditions are, don't you?
1: It's truly the case. I mean, right now, there's some places that have decent ice and the fish are biting well. There's other places where there's not much ice at all and or having really soft edges. Uh, And as you mentioned, it's kind of happened like that all the way through the tail end of the summer here. The lake's turned over at different times. Uh, the fall bite materialized in some places and other places it didn't. So it, uh, has been definitely a little bit challenging, but as with anything in Colorado, with how many different species and types of weather that we have around here, it's all about adapting.
2: It really is. That's what keeps me on the air. Cause we can teach them to adapt. Once it gets too easy, they won't need me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so why don't you kind of take us through what you do know is going on.
1: So right now we're having a little bit of ice in the Metro area in places the edges of Cherry Creek have been a little bit soft as of late, but the main lake for the most part has been four plus inches. Now we talk about that, but it's critical that as we talk every week, it's it's time to, to make sure you're being safe out on the ice. So don't uh, head out there and just do anything. But the late evening bite, if uh, as far as for walleyes, it's been pretty worthwhile. And then if you can get to some of those places where there's some of the submerged timber, some crappie have been coming as well. So the crappie have been doing good on fathead minnows as well as small rat pinky style jigs tipped with wax worms, and the walleyes for the most part have been on downsized jigging wraps so size threes and size fives uh, so that's been pretty worthwhile chadfield has had a little bit more spotty ice conditions the south end has four inches in places the north boat ramp area has four uh, inches in in also a lot of the area but the thing about that north boat ramp area is you just have the all the rocks and that heat just radiates onto the edges so you can have really soft edges later in the day. So make sure to be careful there as well.
2: Yeah, the metro lakes are going to be a little tough. Um, Even the ponds and stuff up north here, um, some of them have ice. I went out and checked a few days ago and people were venturing out, but we've had warm weather again and cold weather again. And the small lakes freeze faster, but they warm up a little faster too. So there are opportunities on the front range. I I checked Douglas. There were some people out there. Saw some people catching fish at Boyd, but boy, you just gotta plan ahead and check and don't go alone and make sure you got a spud bar with you on the front range. And a life jacket in my opinion. Yeah, you know, a life jacket or one of the new floatable suits. I mean they're definitely I mean and and just have a friend with with a rope because it's so difficult to get out if you do fall in. What about some of the mountain things? What do you see in there?
1: Everything is definitely a lot more solidified in the mountains than we're finding down the front range. Smaller bodies of water have been frozen for quite some time now, but the fishing has been pretty worthwhile. Uh, Georgetown itself, I've been hearing a lot of good reports out of. Granted, there has been a bit of a gravel layer on Georgetown, but that bite has been good on small tube jigs, particularly more natural in color. And then speaking of those more natural in color tubes, 11 Mile has been doing quite well with those. Uh, It's been fishing really, really good this year. The north side, Still is producing more of the stalker size fish, and spreading out to the south side has been having some of the the better, uh, not only the the trout but also the pike in there as well. But the key over there is finding the weed lines, and in my opinion, trying to get away from some of the crowds. So if you're trying to to get on some of the access points like Sucker Cove or Rocking Chair or Witchers, a lot of times I'm not fishing right in the midst of the crowd. I'm walking away a little bit and looking to try and find those edges for those bigger rainbows and typical of this time of year when you've dealt with quite a bit of pressure on a bigger lake like that i like going away from some of the brighter colors particularly as the sun starts coming up and i go more natural in color so the darker olive and grasshopper color tubes are really worthwhile and then some of the tungsten jigs that are the gold variety tungsten jigs on my dead stick are some of my favorites
2: yeah, there's, there's a time to really have something flashy and a time when they have a lot of time to look it over under the ice and it may send out some negative signals. Just like if I'm, I like to ice fish with two holes. I like to have an active and a more passive presentation. But what's an active presentation can be a lot different. It could be just a, a gulp minnow that I'm jigging hard compared to a fairly good sized spoon I might be doing at another time
1: exactly and uh and when i'm dealing with a higher highly pressured fish i go downsize a lot more but if i'm at a place even like granby right now that hasn't dealt with a lot of ice yet and you're starting to have some of the edges solidify, and you're fishing for the rainbows or the the browns in there i might go flashier i might go with a really bright spoon a cast master maybe or a flutter spoon like a pk spoon and then i'll have my dead stick sitting next to it so it's all a matter of playing with how the fish are pressured and seeing how they're reacting. So if you have the electronics and you can see those fish coming in or you're sight fishing, it's all about trying to figure out how they're reacting to your presentation and then adapting to it so that you can have success.
2: Now, you mentioned Granby and those lakes up there. I haven't had a current report. I did hear a while ago that there was quite a bit of slush when the ice was just forming. Have
1: you heard an update Definitely still slush. Uh, Granby, I would not run a snow machine on yet from the reports that I've been hearing. The edges, uh, there's definitely been some people fishing off of places like Sunset over on the western side and some of the bays. Uh, those have been okay, but the main part of the lake had open water about a week ago, so in my opinion, it would not quite be ready for a snowmobile. But then one week ago, we had three inches on uh, Williams Fork. I have not heard another report since that, but a whole week should have helped to get a little bit better out there. And then Green Mountain, uh, on the inlet side, I'm hearing up to 10 inches and then 6 inches or so on the dam side with a lot of fish being caught. Smaller lake trout per usual uh, for the majority, but you do have the opportunities. It's still truly nice fish up there.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities in the mountains. And before I let you go, real quick, um, you know, Evergreen Lake course is one up there, but there's a spot up there. At Golden Gate Canyon State Park that you just think is a great place like to take a kid and teach them ice fishing. Up where I live here, we head out towards uh, the Red Feathers Lakes, maybe Dowdy. But t- tell me about that Golden Gate Canyon State Park. It's a state
1: park that's quite close to town. Uh, it's very shaded and there's a smaller body of water. And it'll hold decent ice. Uh, you're not going to catch any trophies out of a lake like that, but the state does quite a good job at putting a lot of numbers of smaller rainbows in that lake. And there's, a, there's several lakes there. So if you want to get up to someplace that even if you just want to hit it for a morning or an evening, short drive with a kid, it's a great spot to go and, and catch a lot of fish. And same thing with Evergreen as well. But uh, I really like that Golden Gate Canyon. And another one that's very similar that I think it's overlooked by someone looking to just get numbers is uh, Staunton State Park. Staunton has, once again, a lot of fish in it. They stock brooders in there. They're small, little small ponds, but it's another good spot for numbers.
2: It really is. And you, you don't get the crowds. You have to walk in about a half mile at Staunton, but it's not a bad walk. You really want to walk back quite a ways. They've got the brook trout ponds, which you'll, you'll just hammer them, but that's a bit of a walk. But the ponds at Staunton, the close ones, are just heavily stocked, and people really do a good job. And by the way, if you're handicapped, they actually have track machines. I don't know if they run them in the winter, but in the summer, they have track machines that'll take you around the park and take a handicapped person fishing. Austin, we've got to run. Uh, I know you're going to be at the boat show this week people want to come by and see you and say hi where will you be i'm going to be at
1: the crowley marine booth at the boat show today and tomorrow and then if otherwise people want to get a hold of you i'm at discount fishing tackle we're six blocks south of
2: evans on the west side of santa fe all right my friend have a good boat show and we'll talk to you again very soon thank you so much you bet that's austin parr um great great contributor to the show And by the way, um, we're going to have more ice fishing reports come up. In fact, after this time out, we're going to take you up to Lake John. And conditions there have been going a little different this year, too. So you want to stay tuned and listen to that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. When
4: the
2: Got you down, and the world's crashing all around. You can always count on me. All right, you're listening to Teddy Wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That little cut was from our new, uh, my musical group's new uh, LP EP we re- released uh, early this year called "Loneliness and Love." If you like the music, search. Search for um, Wickstrom and Dobreth on your favorite streaming service. Let's go to the phone zone. and Let's talk outdoors. Joining us from Lake John Resort is Doug Gibb. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you, sir? I am doing great. And, you know, I was thinking I've been talking off and on about different spots around the state, ice fishing and fly fishing. And up there at Lake John, it was like winter didn't want to come for the longest time. And then it showed up with a vengeance, didn't it?
4: Oh it sure did we had uh, well we were uh, you know closed off from you know the town for two days it wasn't the end of the world but uh, ended up having to contract a, a local contractor to help me dig out because my equipment went down but uh, we're cleaned out now the roads are open and in fact they have uh, even opened the road to the south dock as of two days ago Wow oh, that's um, great and and, 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 and yesterday, for the first time, I saw a half-ton pickup. Uh, a, a 2021 Denali was on the ice. Um, he was he was doing some donuts. He was having some fun. But my point being that the ice is now uh, thick enough to drive a pickup on. It's about 13 inches now, 12 to 13 inches. That's awesome. And, and, you know, in Lake John, it's, it, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's even thicker on the south side.
2: Lake John is one of the few lakes, I think, where you can drive a full
4: size vehicle on the lake, isn't it? That's correct. And so obviously that means, you know, snowmobiles, ATVs are, are also welcome. In Minnesota, the guys, when
2: they get thick enough ice, they get pretty lazy. They get their pickups out there. And they drive around with their GPS inside the pickup and they're mapping on it. And then when they think they're over the right area, they just either open the door or roll down the window. They drill a hole and fish right out of the truck with the heater running. I always thought that was cheating, but as I'm getting older, it sounds appealing. <laughs> oh, it's very
4: appealing. <laughs> it's very appealing, Terry. Well, uh, yeah. And then we, so, we do have about six inches to a foot of, of you know, still just on the ice. I, uh, I went all the way to the spillway yesterday from the boat ramp and almost got my four wheeler stuck. I mean, it w- would have been easy to get out, but just a little caveat to driving on the ice.
2: Yeah. always be super careful, both from the point of make sure, you know, the ice is frozen. Well, before you would take a, a vehicle, especially a heavier one and then be, you know, make sure where you're going, that you're not going to get stuck in slush or something and get frozen in. Cause that can be a real mess. Let's talk about the fishing though. Well, let's start with Lake John, uh, uh, it's probably not a good sample size because even though a lot of people have been coming up, they, the ice is just really in the last couple of weeks taken off. What are you seeing out there?
4: Well, I'm seeing in terms of action, I'm seeing a lot of 12 to 18 inch happening all day long. People are catching, you know, two or three an hour uh, on average. Uh, I haven't seen any big, big Lake John footballs in the last few days uh, other than like a 22 inch that came out two days ago. Um, and it's not for the lack of fish or, you know, whether you've got line of sight or you're using a vexlar, uh, they're just not biting. And as we know, there's a lot of food in that lake, so you got to really switch it up. And uh, what's well, that- been working are are the rassos and, and smaller, smaller, like rat pink size glow jigs.
2: Well, and this becomes a a test of the angling skill because we know the big fish are in there and they're going to get at times in the winter, especially there's a lot of food, a little tougher to coax, but that's the challenge. You know, there's action on Lake John, but you know that there's those 20 plus inch footballs out there that weigh five to eight pounds. And, you know, if you can go find them and
4: make one bite, it could be your trip of the year. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at how how big of a fish you can get out of that 8-inch hole. <laughs> oh, it is sure. amazing. What about some of the other lakes in the area, the
2: Buttes and Cowdery and those? Are they fishing fairly well similarly? Are they open to traffic?
4: Yes. they. Uh, well, first of all, yes, they are open. You can get to all the lakes now. Uh, Cowdery, I've heard, uh, you know, it's m- mostly local action and... And mostly, you know, it's grandfathers with, with grandkids going over there and, and getting up to a 16-inch at Calgary. At, at uh, the Buttes, the the access is open to the boat ramps. They are going to work on getting those roads open before the tournament, which is on the 5th of Feb. Um, and those lakes are all 12-inch plus. In fact, I, uh, the last time I went over there, the, the three holes I drilled in each lake, they were over uh, 13 inches. And you know, got, but I was surprised. There was quite a bit of slush because we don't have the slush at Lake John. Um But there is quite a bit of slush uh at the Buttes. And I don't know what the difference is. We're only eight miles away, but the weather conditions must be such that are allowing for that.
2: Are they catching uh, any good-sized fish over at the Buttes? Have you heard many reports?
4: They are. They're catching bigger fish right now at the Buttes. I've seen bigger. I've heard of bigger fish coming out. Guys are talking between 18 and, like, 24-inch. Now, you uh, mentioned and, and, the and quantity. If, if they really want a lot of quantity and a lot of fun and a lot of action, East is where it's where it's happening right now.
2: All right. You now you know. mentioned you mentioned uh, the tournament coming up. Tell me a little bit about that, real quick.
4: So, well, this weekend we've got the tournament at Lake John. It's a fifty dollars uh, registration fee, and of course, registration will still happen in town on Friday. From 10 to 8 p.m. Uh, at the Chamber of Commerce. We are leaving a sign at the Mad Moose, which is where it had uh, typically occurred for years. And of course, they can also register at Lake John and they can also register at the North Park Area chamber, uh, com website. And then the Delaney Butte tournament is on the 5th of February, also $50, and that's a one day tournament, whereas Lake John is uh, Saturday and Sunday. With All a right, so in,
2: I'm sure you have information on both of those on your website and your Facebook page.
4: I have. I've recently posted the the, the posters again just to let people know what's going on, the All wires right, and, right, and let's, whatnot. Let's talk about your facility a little bit. Now, you have
2: cabins and RV spaces. Do you keep those going in the winter?
4: We do. I just actually cleared the rest of the RV sites yesterday, so all my RV sites are open. I've got uh, four cabins, a suite, and an RV that I rent out, and they're uh, all booked uh, for the in, for the weekends. Anyway, Friday and that's Friday and Saturdays. Uh, the rest of this month and all of February. But we do take wait lists because people, as you know, with COVID and other reasons, people cancel. So we we will take. Uh, you know, a wait list reservation as well. But you do have openings during the week. If people wanted to maybe avoid the crowd a little bit all day long, uh, that's really the best time to come now. Cause well, one, you don't get the traffic, but uh, yeah, you, you get the, the availability during the week.
2: Okay. And tell you, have the store there. Tell people what kind of services you offer at the store.
4: So we've got a full bait and tackle store. We sell, you know, limited groceries, Beer, bacon, bread, uh, obviously mealworms, waxworms, night crawlers, and then we really do have a full uh, line of tackle that people are often presently surprised. I even sell augers up here, hand to hand, electric. And yeah, uh, so if you forgot have- your can of beans your or your corn or whatever, I've got that too.
2: Yeah, so you can take care of them up there, and the biggest thing, of course, you sell is information. You keep track of all those lakes up there, and what's going on. Tell people again how they find you and how they contact you, Doug.
4: So uh, many ways, but lakejohnresort.com dot com is our website. It's also that uh, that's also the name on our Facebook page, and uh, you can call us at nine seven zero two eight six twelve sixty nine. And that is a cell phone number, so you can text us as well. All right,
2: my friend. Thank you for joining us. I think some people need to get up there and add some of those big football fish to their, uh, their accomplishments. Because I'll tell you what, you get one of those fish and you get it out of that hole in the ice, especially if you work for it a little bit, it'll make for a quite a satisfying ice fishing uh, experience. Thanks so much, Doug. Hey, Terry, uh, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. You bet. Doug Gibb from Lake John Resort. Uh, Good people, great people. They've had the place for a while now. And a lot going on. It's a great place to fish. I mean, it's a little bit of a drive, but tell you, when you get up there, you're going to have opportunities with all those lakes up there. At the very least, you're going to have some action. But you're probably also going to have just a shot at a really big fish. And at any time, that's what always always makes it fun. We're going to take a timeout. And when we come back, Nate Zelinsky's is going to join us. And he's up at Blue Mesa with his own tournament going on. And I am really anxious to hear this report because I think there's just a lot going on up there. on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.